0: We're on the line with Carl Vaders. Carl, you're going to be at the Small Church Big Deal Conference with us.
1: Yeah, I finally get to see both of you face to face and see if you actually exist.
2: We're excited, Carl. You were at this conference last year. Tell our listeners why they need to go to smallchurchbigdeal.com right now and register.
1: Yeah, the the whole idea of doing conferences for small church pastors is still a relatively new idea. Chris Vitarelli, who runs this one, stepped up and ran certainly one of the best conferences. I've ever been at for small church pastors. And I'm only saying one of the best, not to insult anybody else. It was the best one I've seen for one that never existed before. Yeah, first Um, time out of the gate. Absolutely. Because most of them, the first time out of the gate, you just miss a few things. It's nobody's fault. But man, you'd think he'd been doing this for 20 years. It was really well done. Everything from the facility to the way they took care of pastors, to the food we ate, to the the, uh, material that was available, was as good as anything I've ever been a part of. It was great.
0: We have not talked about that, Johnny, that if you do come to the Small Church Big Deal Conference, you are going to get treated like a great small church
2: pastor. that And that's really great because, like you said, this is for small church pastors, but you don't get treated like a second-class citizen just because you're a small church pastor at a small church conference. This has a lot of uh, luxury to it, you might say.
1: Yeah, it really does. They go out of their way to treat you like the special minister that you are and something that a lot of people don't get. And that was a big part of their intention was we want small church pastors when they show up here to walk away going, Wow, I didn't just get some information, but I feel like I'm valuable because of the way people treated me this entire weekend. He and his team, and even a couple, uh, some volunteers from other churches in the area, are just some of the most loving, kind, caring people. It was absolutely one of the highlights of my last year.
0: Amen. Well, Johnny and I can't wait to come and get to meet and encourage pastors of small churches. Again, that's uh, October the 1st, Saturday. And if you want, come on in the night before on Friday. We're setting up a location, and we will get together that Friday night, spend a little pre-conference time. Carl, we're looking
1: forward to seeing you. In Fenton, Michigan, just outside of Flint.
0: That's right, Carl. Thank you. And if you haven't done so yet, you can register for the conference at smallchurchbigdeal.com.
2: This is The 200 Churches Podcast, Episode 190.
3: We really just spend a lot of time in relationship. And that sounds crazy because I think sometimes we have people come into our church and they're looking for a program and they say, well, what do y'all do? Well, what I do personally is I serve my the schools that, that my children attend. And I also am home during the day because I want to be home for my neighbors. In the afternoon, all the kids of the neighborhood come to our house and they play basketball. And we had a missions team this summer come in and put in a, a court for us in our yard so we could get the kids off the street and into a safe place where we could continue to build relationships. And so we are we are neighborhood focused and city focused. And not church centric. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches.
0: Now, here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry the slice and dice of ministry podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady, and I'm here with my good friend, podcast colleague. Johnny Craig. Johnny, you were yawning in the middle of my intro. Why
2: would you out me? for the? Come on. Well, it, we're not a video podcast, so I have to describe in visual terms. Here's a visual term. It's Labor Day, and neither of us should be working. Oh, man. <laughs> I was worried when you said, here's a visual term.
0: <laughs> I had no idea what was coming. This is still a
2: 200 it, churches podcast. It is. It's Labor Day.
0: It's the middle of the day. Yeah. I texted you and I said, "Hey,
2: can we just do a quick in and out uh, yeah. tonight?" I th- Did you think I meant now? No, I saw that you said tonight, but we got the friends I thought were coming for lunch are actually coming for dinner. You have friends. This is the only set, so we got to be careful with them. Okay, <laughs> all right. You don't want to lose this, <laughs> this last is, group this is, of friends. This right? is it. Yeah, if we screw this up, okay. it's over. Okay, so so yes,
0: we are. Hey, that makes us more noble and honorable. Working yeah, in the middle of Labor working. Day. Yeah,
2: amen for this you. For this this you, even the work. listener.
0: This doesn't even work, Johnny. This is just fun. This is fun. So here's what's so fun. We have such an awesome episode. Johnny, you found this. I called her a girl. She's not a girl. She's a woman with five children. Yeah. She's a pastor's wife. She's an author. She's a wonderful person. Yeah. And I was expecting, I was expecting, I don't know what, maybe a little fluff of an episode. Sure. Not what we got. We got on with this lady, and this was... This is huge. Yeah, I'm so excited for our listeners to hear our conversation. Yeah, with she's Lori.
2: she's a friend of my wife's, and they've been talking about they've been talking about a podcast about creating a podcast. Those two, and then I think three other women, and doing this thing where they they talk to each other, and not all at the same time, probably because five would be a lot. Yeah. Um, but I said to Kayla, you know, do you think any of these women would be good, you know, for our podcast? And she's like, Yes, you have to have Lori Harris on. So. I got in touch with Lori Harris, and uh, yeah, like, I didn't know what to expect either. I had no idea. I've never talked to her before this. This was the first time I've ever talked to her. This was all on Kayla's recommendation, and she was amazing. I mean, she's so phenomenal.
0: And I think, I think, without going back and combing through every episode, I think she's the first pastor's wife. I think yes that we've had on the podcast. That's true. In, in a role as a pastor's wife, right, and as a as a, a really a pastoral partner. I think she called herself a, a pastoral partner yeah, in yeah. the church, church planning, planning partner. That's right, church planning partner. Exactly so this right. falls under the role of pastor's wife, mm-hmm. uh, church planner. Yep, and bivocational pastor.
2: Absolutely. So she gets into all of that. It's, I mean, it's all of them. Yeah. If we're tagging this episode, those are some pretty good tags it, to use as
0: well of it as well as a church. That prioritizes community development, community incarnational ministry. Well,
2: we don't want to spoil it, but her story, the story of this church.
0: I, I was shocked. I've not I've not heard that before.
2: Mine blank me either. This is a first. <laughs> I was like, wait, you did what? Like so it's crazy. You have to listen because it's crazy.
0: Yeah, let's let's just get right into it. Here's a conversation with Lori Harris from Rocky Mount, North Carolina and Fellowship Bible Church.
2: We are very excited to have you with us today, Lori. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry, and and where you're at right now.
3: Okay. Well, I am Lori. I'm wife to Thad, and we live in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, which is not in the mountains like most people think. It's near the East Coast. And so um, we live in a small, marginalized community um, in the South, and we have six kids aged, From 6 to 15, so we have our oldest one in high school this year. So we have hit a whole other level of um, busy and just juggling all kinds of things because our youngest one's 6, and uh, we have five kids in three different schools, and so it's pretty busy. And we have a a church plant. It's called Fellowship Bible Church uh, Rocky Mount. We are a church plant of Fellowship Dallas, and um, we love our little church. We're funky and weird, and uh, we love it. Can I just say—
2: That the fact that you are in a church plant called Fellowship Bible Church is mind-boggling to me. It's not called like Renovation Church. It's not called like Surge Surge Church. (laughs) There's no one word, you know. It's Fellowship. That sounds like a church that's been around for like 80 years, Lori.
3: Well, Fellowship Bible churches have been around for a long time, and there're probably a hundred of us across the nation. And so we are really committed to our legacy of grace, and also Thad and I are not hip and cool. So you know, I mean, we just had to name it as the same as every other Bible church or fellowship church in North <laughs> I mean, in the United States. And so we are not hip and cool. We are relevant, not hip and cool.
2: Oh, they put that on the sign, the not hip and cool church, <laughs> just so people know coming in the door, like that. Look, that's not what you're going to get here. I like it.
3: Yes,
0: absolutely. Well, Laura, you're you're pretty busy with kids from what did you say, six years old all the yes. way through a senior in high school. No,
3: just a freshman in high school. Oh, She's oh, fifteen.
0: Oh, a freshman. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Oh, well, I feel better then because I mean you look. I mean you look like you're in college to me. <laughs> to me, I'm old, thank but uh, that's you're great. my favorite. Well, well, yeah. thank you, thank <laughs> you. So how how long have you been? When did you start this church plant? And uh, how is it coming along? And how how are how are you and your husband feeling about it?
3: Okay. Well, we moved from Dallas um, Christmas Eve of 2011, and so we this is where the story is kind of funny. We launched Fellowship uh, Rocky Mount in maybe September of 2012, and we started out in our home, and we met in our home for about a year, and then we branched out, and we went to the Y, and we grew steadily till about we had maybe 40, 45 members. And after two years, we realized that that little church that we planted was not a very healthy congregation. And so for a whole year, we really prayed and we sought wise counsel and we cried (laughs) for a whole year. And in 20, gosh, I guess it's 13 now, or no, 2014, we really felt like the Lord was giving us permission to close the doors of that small church and pray through our vision and relaunch. And so we began to strategically pray that the Lord would send us co-pastors. And we we wanted them to be African-American because we live in a predominantly African-American city. And so we thought maybe the Lord would send us a couple in a year or two after we had begun to heal. And he sent a couple from our home church in Dallas to co-partner with us and co-pastor this little church. And so we launched again in 2014, no, excuse me, 2015. And um, so we've been in existence now as what we like to affectionately call Fellowship (laughs) 2.0. And we've been in existence now for, you know, uh, a year and nine months. And we feel awesome about this church. We feel like it's a very strong body. It's a very healthy body. And um, we have steady growth. It's slow, but it's steady. And um, the Lord just recently sent us someone to help with help lead worship. And we've got um, four people leading the youth. We feel really good about it, but it has been a hard, bumpy road. I'm not going to lie; it's been it's been brutally hard. But we feel great now.
0: Well, our listeners are are they're. All, I know I know what you're all thinking. You're all, you're all saying yourself. Never heard a one a story like that before. I mean, actually shutting the thing down and yeah, restarting. Yeah. Now, Lori, I don't know if you can answer this question, but for what particular ingredients were present in that first go-around that caused you to think, or what was the composition of it that caused you guys to say that this really isn't right for where we're at, for who we are maybe, for what our context is and who we're trying to reach?
3: Well, the first church, when we first—this is my hometown. Rocky Mountain's my hometown, so I grew up here. And when my husband and I first got married, he served on staff at a couple of churches here in Rocky Mount. But we had moved away for about 12 years. And so when we came back home, there um, was—this is a small town, so there was a little bit of excitement about— the church at that and Lori we were going to plant. And I think there was an assumption that we were going to be planting a church just like every other church in Rocky Mount mm. and that possibly we weren't serious about reaching the marginalized. <laughs> and so I think we had several families that, that came that didn't live anywhere near downtown Rocky Mount where we live and where we felt led to plant this church. And they just kind of drove in 15 or 20 minutes every Sunday to this little congregation. And we just, we couldn't, we couldn't grow past that 40 and we weren't reaching any, lost people at all. Um, Thad and I were the only ones who had a, a serious heart for downtown Rocky Mount and a heart for our neighborhood and a heart to reach the poor. And so I think maybe this first church kind of thought after a few months or a few years, we would lose interest in that and build a traditional church and we'd be flashy and hip and cool. <laughs> and so we were really, really convinced, no, that's not who we want to be. And also... We, we believe strongly that we had um, a false teacher come in during that time, and I don't really want to get into all the details of that, but sure. that created a whole year's worth of angst and this realization that, that the majority of our church was meeting with this person outside of our normal church goings, and it was very private and it was not good for the body. And here's the other thing, and I don't know if um, you guys were aware, but Thad and I, we don't take a salary from our church. And so all the tithe that comes into our church goes right back into our local community. So we didn't have, we didn't, we, we felt the, the the privilege of being able to say, okay, the, the we can't hire another pastor to come in and take our role. You know, if this isn't the church we feel that we feel like God wanted us to plant and we feel like it's an unhealthy body, and at this point... We can't move forward. Our only option is to close the doors or at least fold this congregation maybe into an, into another local church. And that just didn't happen. And honestly, after we closed the doors, um, it was a small town, so it was like a small town scandal. But um, most of the, the congregants that were in that first church have come back and said, you guys did the right thing. We weren't healthy. Wow. And we see that now. I mean, you can always— see things once you step out of it. Right. And we had a very immature church. I mean, we did not have mature believers. And so when we were saying, this is who we believe this person to be and you need to stand guard, they couldn't see it. Now, two years later, they can look back and see very clearly um, we had major problems. Um, So those relationships have been healed, but it was tough. It was very tough.
0: So what do you and your husband do to make a living?
3: My husband works full time. He actually... He has a high-dollar education from Dallas Seminary, and he actually is a salesman for um, an industri- industrial electrical company here in town. And he got that job just because we knew a guy, and he's a believer, and he knew we were here to plant a church. And so he gave that a job, which is awesome because he it pays the bills. It gives him time to sermon prep in the car when he's driving all over eastern North Carolina And he's off half a day on Friday. So he does he gets a lot of ministry things done on on Friday afternoons, which is awesome for our family. And uh, we just really felt strongly when we were in seminary that we needed to tent make. We felt like if we were going to reach blue collar people or the working poor, then we needed to to work just like they were working. And uh, it has helped us earn credibility in our community. And honestly, the cool thing is because of the kind of company that it is, that has been able to get several of our neighbors jobs at this company. So that's been a good thing. It's been a it's been an in. So that's what he does.
0: That's super, Lori. That's so that's so good. You've allowed a lot of our listeners to think brand new thoughts, and you've revealed options that maybe they didn't think was were, were really there in their own lives. So thank you. Right. That's really good. Cool. So
2: you you know you talk about you started this church with the idea of making a, a difference in a in your community in a very specific community right of downtown Rocky Mount. And then, right. it, and it wasn't moving in that direction. So now, here you are, Fellowship Bible 2.0, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. What What do you, What is your vision for community impact? Right. What like? Because there's a million ways, right? Some Some uh-huh. churches might say, "Oh, we want to have a community impact, so we, you know, we go calling uh, on Thursday nights and you know knock on doors and invite people to church." What is your particular, uh, you know, vision for community impact? And what What does your church do to make a difference in downtown Rocky Mount?
3: We are strong proponents of incarnational living. So we really encourage our church members. And this is the other cool thing. I mean, y'all when the first church closed, we were desperate for the Lord to move and we were very specific, right? Lord, this is what we want. And this is what we're asking of you. And it was Lord send people into the city of Rocky Mount. And he began to move couples. We've had three couples move into the city, two of which have bought houses downtown. And so, um, our church is really we don't we're not programmed and so we really encourage our our believers to really figure out what are their passions in life and where is where do they see the greatest need in Rocky Mountain being and then going and doing that thing we've got you know a couple of um, public school teachers who intentionally serve low income schools we've got two folks in our church who work for our pregnancy care center which they go into all the schools. So they have it to all the schools in Rocky Mount and they get to teach um, the sex ed classes and the abstinence classes. And, and they, they actually have a kid from downtown Rocky Mount and who lives with them on the weekends. And so we have a gel chaplain that attends our church. We have people in our church who are actively pursuing Christ in relationships with others who are, who aren't believers Coming to our church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, and so we really gather to scatter, and we want we want people to have enough free time in their in their normal weekday schedule to have a neighbor over for dinner, serve their local public school, go mentor children, um, work at the homeless kitchen. But our idea is to is to make disciples through relationship, even if those disciples choose to attend another church. So we don't we don't really do a lot of You know, knocking on doors or um, we did in the first church that did not work. (laughs) That was one of the things that we learned. But it's all about relationships and who can you forge a relationship with who doesn't know Christ and how can you love that person to the Lord? We really just spend a lot of time in relationship. And that sounds crazy because I think sometimes we have people come into our church and they're looking for a program and then say, well, what do y'all do? Well, what I do personally is I serve my, the schools that, that my children attend, and I also am home during the day because I want to be home for my neighbors. In the afternoon, all the kids of the neighborhood come to our house, and they play basketball. And we had a missions team this summer come in and put in a, a court for us in our yard so we could get the kids off the street and into a safe place where we could continue to build relationships. And so we are, we are neighborhood-focused and city-focused and not church-centric.
1: The
2: non-church-centric church. You said gather to scatter, and as you were talking, I sketched a note out here to Jeff that just said the church outside of the building. And uh, yes, I mean what what you're describing, Lori. Uh, you know, tent-making pastors. You know, uh, a gathering on Sunday morning to scatter out, right? Non-church-centric ministries. I mean, these are fairly revolutionary. Ideas. I mean, you, this is post-Christian ministry. I think. I mean, is that fair to say? Yes,
3: absolutely, it is.
2: Okay, so that's that's very cool. What are what you know? What are some of the things? And there's one there's one particular ministry that you did recently that I want you to talk about because I think it's <laughs> I think it's wonderful and humorous all at the same time. Jeff looks oh, blazed over. Do we need to warn our listeners that they
3: might? <laughs> no, this is not on. No graphic content. No <laughs> graphic
2: content. <laughs> This is something that, as a man, Lori, I would never, ever think of. Never in a million years would this have crossed my mind. And I'm thinking all of our male listeners, probably similar situation with them.
0: Well, Johnny, the mail just came. I'm going to just run out and get it. I'll I'll be back in just a second. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Lori. I
3: serve on a parent advisory council for my middle school. And on that council, there are only four parents on that thing. And we have, we meet with the principal and one guidance counselor. And, and we kind of get together once a month to talk about the needs of the school. Well, the needs last year were always, number one, mentorship. We needed people to come in and mentor kids. And then number two was we had hungry kids. They needed food to have on the weekends. And then third, they needed school supplies. And so we met all those needs. And then this year, the guidance counselor at our last meeting said, you know, we really need sanitary pads for these girls because they don't. They don't get but two from the school nurse if they come in, and I looked at her and I looked at the other woman in the room and I said, "You mean they only get two? And she said, "Well, yeah, that's all that the nurse can afford to buy." And I immediately said, "Well, you know, since this is a Title One school and that's a medical necessity, are there not government funds to cover those kinds of things?" And she said, "No, there, there's no funding for that." And um, just for said, well, clarity,
2: two is not a lot.
3: Two is. Well, okay. For your male listeners, uh, no, two pads okay. for a twenty-four hour period of time is not sufficient. Okay, you would need four to six easily. I four wondered to if six.
0: I okay. wondered if that was like per day or.
3: I, <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I don't
0: know. Wanna what I, don't wanna know. I, I don't
2: want to know. I don't know. I don't want to know.
3: So, yeah, but it's a problem. You're like, saying this
2: is a real problem. This is a very. Yes. This is you know. This is a situation that n- there there needs to be some sort of remedy for.
3: Yes, because this is a medical issue. This is something that if girls don't have what they need, they cannot. It's a sanitary issue. I mean, and, it, and when you come to school, I mean, unclean or or feeling insecure about the supplies that you have to meet your need, then there's a lot of shame involved. And my first thought was, not on my watch. I am not going to sit at this parent advisory council and serve this school and think that we have 173 girls who are going to go without because there's not enough money. And I kept thinking, you know. Like Lord, like God owns all the money in Rocky Mount. He owns all of it. And we're going to go get some pads. And so I thought, you know, for a year, maybe we can get 3,000 pads and that would meet our need for the year. And I just did a blog post and I asked a few girls to share it because I thought people aren't going to want to buy pads. It's back to school time. Well, we got over 32,000 pads. Say it in, again. Uh, How many? 32,000 pads oh in goodness. less than six days time. I unloaded so many pads off of a UPS truck. The guy, I mean, he, it was kind of funny. He thought we were getting punked initially because we had so many boxes <laughs> all coming from Amazon. And he said, you know, do you mind me asking what's in these boxes? Oh, and I no. was like, no, it's maxi pads." <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so um, it was quite hilariously funny because we had two different FedEx trucks come every day, plus the UPS truck and the mail truck. I mean, we just had a super abundance of pads. And what I realized in that moment was that this was a felt need every woman in the world just about could relate to this need. They could remember what it was like to be in middle school and realize that when you can give people a clear picture of a need that they can feel or remember or experience, they are very quick to move to meet it. And I think Mother Teresa has said something about, you know, it's not that we don't uh, love the poor, it's that we don't know the poor. And I think that that's where we are in America. I think we are so far removed from lost people and the poor that we don't know how to engage them. And so when a need arises and it's easy to meet, people are very quick to jump on board and say, I want to be a part of that. And I'm going to do that in my local community. And so actually we've had... Several blog readers do their own Patapalooza and they're on town uh, in the last <laughs> week because they realize, I'm going to call my middle school and find out if this is a need. Well, sure. everyone that's calling is discovering this is a huge need, wow. and we've been able to supply maxi pads to almost all of the Title I schools in Rocky Mount this week, so that's pretty awesome.
2: That is really awesome. I think my wife sent 1,000 of those herself, if I understand really? my <laughs> bank account correctly. No, probably not that many.
3: <laughs> um <laughs> So that's no. <laughs> just,
2: Lori, that's just this week.
0: Yeah, this just,
3: week I'm still delivering pads. I've only gotten about 10 boxes this week. So they all came last week.
0: So we're, 32, in, we're, today we're recording on September 1st, 2016. Yeah. So you yeah. can figure out how recent that is. And uh, man, I, I tell you, that's that's really moving. It really is that uh, that you would do that.
2: As I listen to your story, and I know Laurie, you're involved a little bit with CCDA, or at least you're you're aware of CCDA kind of methodology. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talk about how did you know that this was a need? You knew that this was a need because you were on a parental advisory team, and you didn't yep. go to that parental advisory, you know, board meeting or whatever, and say, "I have a great idea. I think we should get everybody in the school, you know, a new pack of pens." You said, oh. "What are the needs that we, you know, are having right now?" Right how, you know, you're talking to pastors right now on this podcast. What, you know, what would you tell them? How can they make a community impact? What can they do and where can they go to, to find the needs of their community?
3: I think, and I'm going to, I'm going to give the ideal idealistic perfect idea. And this, this is kind of, we follow the CCDA model and it is, you redistribute based upon where you've been relocated and, and who you know your neighbors to be. And I think before the church can move to meet any needs, the church has got to be actively involved in their community. And they have got to to begin, maybe over a year, a year's time to begin to to build intentional relationships with their public schools, show up to things, have their church when the when the school does a fundraiser, have that church, buy all the stuff. I think inst- and before we can go into a place and, and ask what a need is, we have to have a relationship forged there so that when, when the need arises, you just are there to know. We are finding that the first couple of years we were in town, we didn't have any street credibility. And it's taken us almost five years to earn street credibility in our community for our community to open up enough to let us in. I think a lot of communities will have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to the local church because the church wants to do something that's convenient for them that fits their timetable and their schedule and they might do it for a little while and then they'll quit or they stop showing up and they stop showing up because the relationship has never been has never been forged when the need has a face and a name and a story people are more apt to stick with it and i think for your for your pastors who are listening i would begin to look at your own congregation and see who's attending do you have any school teachers if so what schools are they teaching in and spend some time with those teachers. Um, do you have social workers in your congregation? Talk to your social workers. Where do they see the biggest needs are? Because whoever God has sent into your congregation, that those people are going to be your, your people of peace whenever you look to serve somewhere. And they'll be able to give you good information and, and, and be able to give you the ins and outs. And the other thing I think the church has got to do, it's got to really humble itself. I think it has to acknowledge that for a long time we have been very church centric. And I think we need to humble ourselves and begin to pray and ask the Lord to forgive us for being blind to our communities and and being blind to the point that we don't know there is a need unless someone comes and tells us or we ask. And I think the relationship between the church and the local community needs to be such that that we know all that's going on all the time. You know, yesterday we had, I was driving into the neighborhood and I saw the Child Protective Services car driving out off of my street. And so I came in the house and I said, you know, Thad, do you know who they were here to see? And he said, no, do you know? And I said, no, I have no idea. And the the thing of it is, is Thad and I are so closely involved to our local community that we know which families out here have CPS involved. We know whose power got turned off recently. And I think the church has got to be so present in their local community that we know what's going on all the time.
0: So Lori, going back to small church pastors again, you're a small church pastor, you're in a church of 40 or 50 people, and you've been there for a few years, maybe you've been there for for 15 years, Mm -hmm. and it just seems like the heartbeat of the people is not your heartbeat. And 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 you said you become church-focused. And not community focused, mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. and and not to, I don't want to beat up on any of us. Let's just admit right. that that happens naturally. Oh and, yeah, it does. in the course of you know existence, that's going to happen, and that's what we have to fight against. Because right. as a pastor, I'm concerned with the people in my church. Because if I'm not, then they're concerned with me. Right? Right. And so, <laughs> yes. so it's kind of a it's kind of the natural order of things. What would you say to it to a pastor who really just has a, a, a church that is focused on itself? Now you just gave some ideas about getting out into the community, getting to know people. But how about that, that pastor that he's got a church focused on itself? How does he begin to change their perspective? How does he think- how does he or she begin to change the way that they think about their church in their community.
3: I think the pastor has got to to look at his community and figure out where he wants to serve. And I think if the pastor can figure out an area of passion or a huge need in his city that he wants to go and meet because he feels led and gifted to go and do that, I think if he does that and he in, just simply invites his congregation to join him.
0: Okay, so it, the pastor, you're saying in yes. the pastor he or she goes first.
3: Yes, they go first. Dad and I have found that because we were doing um, neighborhood ministry, we had so many people. And we use social media. I mean, I use social media to get the word out. If we're feeding all the kids in our neighborhood, I'm going to take a picture of that and I'm going to put it on social media. Because I want other believers to think, well, I could do that in my local community. I could do that. That's easy, you know. Um, And so we began to post things. And I think because Dad and I found out where our passion was. lied then then people who were observing what we were doing were really quick to say hey can I come do that too and i think if the pastor can find out where he wants to serve or where he wants to partner with his local community his church will follow i think um because there's just something about serving and a, a church that serves together is just a powerful beautiful thing you learn to bear with each other you grow spiritually you you gain um, a dependence upon God through prayer, to to do the things that that you feel led to do. And I think if the pastor can can name off his one thing and do it, and then just invite his congregation, invite his deacons or his elders, or invite a small group, hey, I want to go do this thing, would y'all come? People will be very quick to catch on.
0: Okay, Lori, what in your background, what in your personality or your makeup has allowed you... To have five kids and then be so invested and involved and busy. Uh, are you a blogger as well? Are you an author, a writer?
3: Yes, I am a writer.
0: Okay. So wh- what is it about you that you're not in a constant state of overwhelm? Be-
3: <laughs> because, yeah,
0: you know, I don't... We're I don't, assuming she's not. I don't want pastors, m- men pastors out there to think, oh, man, my wife doesn't do all this stuff. And I don't want mm-hmm. pastors' wives who might be listening to think, oh, I'll never get it all together as much as Lori's got it together. So what is it about you that has allowed you to do this?
3: Well, it took the Lord, I mean, at least three years to break me down from who I used to be, (laughs) to invite me into this easy way of doing ministry. And I know to you guys it sounds like we are really busy and doing over-the-top things, but I think what we have learned is because our church isn't programmed um, we have the flexibility to do things in our neighborhood that we want to do, and I think the yoke of Jesus is really—it's really easy and it's light. When we build relationships with people, it doesn't—it's not a program. It's you meet the need because there's a relationship. Um, what, and I pro, think, what
0: program is in your church? I mean, you say you're not programmed.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What is well, there?
3: We do well. We have a Sunday morning service, and then we do small groups on Sunday evenings. And then we have a small group of women from our church who serve in the local jail. And so twice a week, they're in the local jail for about three hours, twice a week. Um, My husband and his co-pastor go on Fridays and lead worship. Then we have another group of women who meet together for an organization called City Moms Fellowship that we've just recently launched. And that's a discipleship group. And it's uh, it's also an opportunity for us to to draw in new believers and begin to disciple them one-on-one in a small group setting. So we have that. We have another small group of people that serve our local schools. And so, even though it's not on a, we're not meeting in a church building, our church is still gathering together to serve together and serve our, our own neighborhoods where we live.
0: So you have a, a Sunday morning service. Does that mm-hmm. include Sunday school, children's church, things like we that? We have children's
3: church. Uh huh. And, and our small group time on Sunday nights is uh, is Bible focused.
0: And that's in people's homes.
3: Yes, it meets in our home.
0: Okay, so it's one group and it meets in your home. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, because your church is a small group.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we are. We're a very small group.
0: (laughs) Okay, so then you've gotten rid of a a lot of the extra fluff in what a normal church calendar would have in order to have the time to just do lifestyle ministry.
3: That's exactly right. I like that. We live in the Bible Belt, and so we, we have 200 churches in my small town. Could be a little bit more than that by now. All of them are doing the same things. They're hosting vacation Bible school. They're doing back-to-school drives. They have lots of ongoing Bible studies. But there is a huge lack of church presence in the local community. We even have large parachurch organizations here that do a lot of great things, but they're in a building. And so it's more of a a come-and-see model where we are a (laughs) go-and-be. We want people to go and be with people. We want to cut the overhead of a, of a church building and paid staff to empower and equip and then unleash um, our church to go and be the church in the local community and and use, you know, we, we all give to our, our local church and, and we fund ministry. But, hey, if if your neighbor needs groceries, then by all means, go buy groceries for your neighbor, because. We don't have to have your tithe to pay the light bill Sunday morning. (laughs) So we are a little more, we're freer to do the things in our community that we want to do.
0: Where do you meet on Sunday mornings?
3: We meet at our old library, which is not even a block from my house. And so my neighbors can walk to our church building and it's super cheap. I can't disclose how much it is, but dude, it's like really cheap.
0: (laughs) So so you have... You have no building. You have no maintenance. You don't have no building insurance and all no, the rest yeah. of that. No stuff.
3: salary. No salary. Okay. Nothing. Everybody's free. Everybody's a volunteer, and we all work other jobs.
2: This, this sounds- I mean, I know
3: it sounds crazy, y'all, but it is like the most free kind of ministry <laughs> we've ever done. <laughs>
2: This is too stressful. I uh, this is too stressful for a vocational worker like myself, Lori. I, I, know I it can't. Is. And, all, and
3: all your pastors are like, "Get her off the air because <laughs> she's, she's encouraging our our people to not give their time." No, but I, I know, I know. This I think this is what we're probably up against, just in our local community. I th- dad and I've been in vocational ministry almost twenty years. This is the first time that we've been what I would call by vocational. And it was very stressful for me in the beginning. I didn't understand it. And I kept thinking, well, you know, in five years, maybe he'll take a salary from the church. And what we realized was God was meeting our need without the salary from the church. And and right now we don't tend to to receive that. And obviously, if our church were 400 people, we'd have to have some kind of staff. But our church is doing a really good job of ministering to one another. And my husband, he does get up super early. And every time see him, he's got a book in his hand or he's got the Bible and he's, he's constantly working but our ministry is front porch ministry and literally front porch ministry, side yard ministry and in the jail and in our schools and it's just you know I think John, Dr. John Perkins he runs CCDA but he uh, we've heard him speak so many times and one thing he talks about he's like you know the government has all of these systems in place and all these buildings and programs and all the church has to do is go get involved in them you know they're paying the government's paying the overhead. The government's paying all the salaries. They're turning the lights on. Hmm. The church has just got to show up and be a part of what's there. Because when when the church shows up, Jesus is there. And we are really that's that's our model, you know. We want our church to run for city council. We want them to get on the school board. We want them to do those things to kind of turn the tide in the programs that are already in place and not reinvent the hamster wheel. Laura you're expensive
2: you've got you've got the the preaching style of an old Southern Baptist uh, minister you not South not South the South come South and Southern see Baptist. the go and be <laughs> we got that front porch ministry <laughs> You got all, you got, man, it just, it is just rolling off. Do you you have like a whole legal pad of notes in front of you? This is incredible, Lori. You're uh you're, you've got a lot of great information here and it's just rolling right off you. So I, I well, appreciate I, we've, that.
3: Thanks. But we've like, we've lived it. We've screwed up more times than I can count. And we've done so many things wrong. And, but we've just learned so much about the slow way of Jesus and how he literally moved into the neighborhood and he became a carpenter and he lived among people and he loved them where they were and it wasn't expensive and it was not, it was time consuming, but it was, it was life giving. And I think for us, we're, we're approaching 40 years old. Our kids are getting older and we just feel for the first time ever ministry is a joyful, beautiful thing. And don't get me wrong. We've experienced great years in ministry and vocational ministry, and they've been awesome years, but there's so much freedom to just be the church and live in community with people and really be reminded of the grace that we've been given because when you spend your days with lost people or people on the margins you get a front I could just a front row face to Christ and that is so life-giving and I think I can talk about it because I'm su- I'm super passionate and I think once you begin to experience abundant life in Christ on this side of vocational ministry, you want uh, you want other people to experience it that way. You know, that and our hosting an intentional neighboring dinner at our house next week because we want other couples to consider, hey, does God want me to move downtown? And if so, what does it look like for me to love my neighbors right there? And right. what can I do to experience that? Because it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome. It's it's so much fun. And it's so cheap.
0: <laughs> so, so pastors you don't have to sell your building and, and tell your people to stop paying you. uh <laughs> a, right. unless, unless you want to, uh, because this isn't for every church, this isn't for every right. pastor. Uh, but I tell you what, Laura you've given a lot of great ideas, uh, a lot of things that we can do in our churches to help turn them from being inward-focused to outward-focused. And you've also, I have to believe you've given a huge number of pastors a new option in their minds to think, hey, maybe, maybe the institutional church for me, for the church maybe that I'm at or in my community, maybe it isn't the best approach. Maybe, maybe God wants me to go in this other direction. And basically, you're talking about a missional community of believers, right? right? I mean, you haven't even yes. used the word. Are we post vocab missional already? are we, we post missional maybe uh, uh, maybe because that was <laughs> everybody adopted it and then it lost all I meaning mean, so we, I, <laughs> I just we figured out it what it means and now we're not using it anymore but no but no i mean incarnational what you, is what you call it now N- yeah. yes there incarnational i mean huge incarnational what you're talking about mm-hmm. uh but mm-hmm. you know you don't have to you don't have to take it all pastors but right. take take some of these ideas some really really great ideas And begin to just change maybe the heartbeat, the atmosphere, the thinking
2: of your church. Right. So, Lori, you have been you've been great, and we've appreciated your time. Give us a parting shot here. You know, one more word to encourage um, and challenge. How about encourage and challenge? You know, small church pastors who are listening, small church pastors who, in their hearts, they want to make a difference, right?
3: Right. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. But, but, you
2: know, maybe they just they've hit a wall or or they're they're not able to do it. One more word of, of challenge and encouragement for these pastors. OK,
3: well, guys, I think I would encourage you to when you drive home tonight or, or wherever you are, I want you to sit on your front porch and just really begin to prayerfully consider who your neighbors are. God has obviously planted you in a neighborhood somewhere. You might be out in the middle of the country and not have any close neighbors, but you are somewhere that God has tr- strategically planted you. And he has planted you there to seek the welfare of that place. So look at your, look at all the houses on your street. And really begin to just ask God to give you eyes to see your neighbors and ears to hear them and time to sit with them. And then I just want to really encourage you to invite one of your neighbors over for dinner. That's a small thing. Super small. Easy. It's an easy layup. Have someone in your home for dinner. And constantly pray that God would give you eyes to see your, your place and ears to hear. And then a heart, I think, to hold the people that he sends your way. Because God has a purpose for your for your address, your zip code. He's got a plan there. And you are part of that plan. Um, so figure that out. It's it, I think it can be the best fun uh, that you have. And it can be the most meaningful experience you have in learning to love your neighbors.
0: Lori, thank you so much. Yeah. And, and I love the I love the metaphor an easy layup you know no half court shots here just some, yeah. just start with some easy layups and then work your way back yeah. great Lori thank you so much and I hope that we get to have you on the podcast again
3: well thanks for having me
0: again Johnny if you could pick a guest like that every time that you select guests you can select all the rest of the guests
3: <laughs> I'm for the, the guest
0: podcast.
2: selector now. Oh, I like that. So
0: encouraging, you know. It's just a different way of thinking about church. Yeah, it's it's actually the body of Christ just just living out Jesus in the community.
2: It's the, beautiful. Yeah, her the way that she talks about church, she has such a beautiful love for God and God's people, and and really for everyone adjacent to God's people. I mean, she is just in that community, living and loving and. uh she does great work. Yeah, the, the conversation about the you know the pad of I mean, what a what a crazy thing, right? Who thinks to do that? Who? I'm
0: still embarrassed. <laughs> it's generational.
2: Who gets involved, you know, <laughs> in that kind of way, and then thirty two thousand, right. right? Show up at her front door. That's Very that's cool. just incredible. So cool story. We definitely should have Lori back on uh, the podcast real soon.
0: I'd love to take her with us. To small church, big deal. Conference oh, that would be great! Yeah, in Fenton, Michigan.
2: I am excited about this small church, big deal conference. Me too. Um, October first, we're going to get there September thirtieth, and uh, we're going to be there that night. It's a Friday night, hanging out, and we're going to hang out with as many of you as show up. We'll have details that we're going to push out uh, to the website and in our newsletter soon. Um, but October first is the actual conference. Chris Vitarelli, this is his second year putting this thing on. Carl Vader's is is back.
0: I'm excited about what Carl said about Chris's administrative acumen.
2: Yeah,
0: that's that's kind of exciting. I'm High quality stuff.
2: It. Yeah, I'm excited. So if I put as much time into my workshop as I have talking about my workshop on the podcast, it's gonna be it's Don't gonna be lights even out.
0: intimate that you're not completely done with
2: it. With- <laughs> pdfs printed out no i would never intimate that i would never all i know is that i still need to get more people to my workshop than you do to yours just for bragging rights so like i
0: said i'm giving away candy and money There's going to be a, oh, no. there's going to be a $100 bill taped under one of the chairs. I can't
2: compete with this. I can't compete. That's a church <laughs> growth strategy if I've ever heard one right there. It is. So I love
0: it. speaking of church growth, yesterday morning I was in Omaha at a at a fairly new church plant, yeah. uh, the Alliance in Omaha, at an ordination service and uh I is there going to be anything left here at Dover next week? when it's time for church i mean what in the world did you do yesterday morning here i mean
1: there was a
2: fair amount of wailing and gnashing of teeth um i thought that was a. I, at
0: first i thought it was because i was simply simply because i was gone you were gone right And then i realized it was because of
2: what was in my place <laughs> you no, it was good it was a good morning all we did was talk about you know everything so it was fine you, if you if you You're have like, a church, what does that mean?
0: <laughs> if you have a church in the Fenton or Flint, Michigan area, actually anywhere anywhere in the Midwest, and you need another pastor, Johnny might be looking for a position here. There soon.
2: you go. We'll see what kind of horror after stories after our you elders hear. meeting next week. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good Sunday morning. Hey, you left for three months last year. This That's one true. day is no big deal. At That's this point. true.
0: Well, I'll have to listen to it. Yeah. Tonight when I'm trying to fall asleep.
2: That'll, that'll do the, the job for you, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, hey,
0: I hope that you were encouraged by the podcast episode today. Yes. I hope really what I hope is that you were challenged to think differently about your church and to think differently about your community. I mean, I was. Absolutely. I was. And in the second time I'm going to go through this episode tonight. I'm going to pick it apart. I am going to edit it, and I'm going to produce this thing. Yeah. I know. I'm looking forward to listening to it now, right, as a third person, yeah. not being in the recording live, because I'm really looking forward to what she had to say, because I was challenged about a lot of things in our church. She
2: was too good. I mean, she was just, its it was lights out. So we know you enjoyed it, and uh, we enjoyed talking with Loris. We'll be happy to have her back on. Last time I'm going to say it, don't miss the Small Church Big Deal Conference October 1st in Fenton, Michigan. You need to get out there if you are a small church pastor. It's a weekend made just for you. So thanks so much for listening. We can't wait to see you in Fenton, and we can't wait to see you next week on the 200 Churches Podcast.
1: We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. If you haven't already,
3: subscribe at 200churches.com and receive the guys' free PDF download called Our 7 Favorite Ministry Resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday
0: with another brand new, shiny episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church.
3: Oh wow. Well I might I might have I mean you might have to edit out a lot of stuff because once I start talking, I am pretty passionate about what we do and so I love to talk about it and I love to challenge people to think differently, you know? So Okay, Lori, anyways. I'm the editor. I'm
0: the editor. I don't want to do a whole lot of edits, all right? So we're having a, just remember this part. We're having a conversation. It's not an interview, it's a conversation. Okay. That's a good way to think about See? it, yeah. And, uh, gotcha. And so you just <laughs> to go on what Johnny said, take a breath once in a while. <laughs> do, All right. You do have six kids, so you know if you don't say it, if you don't say it, you're gonna, you're never gonna get a word in edgewise. And after we ended the recording, we kept on talking to Lori for another two minutes and thirty-seven seconds. So I think I'm just gonna include it on the end of this uh, episode. And uh, so go ahead and listen to the rest if you want to.
3: You call me on a great day where I'm feeling like, I don't know, rose-colored glasses. Things are great in the neighborhood. <laughs> call me back in six months. Yes. Call me back in six months and I'll be crying. But yeah, well, I'm telling you, when the first church plant closed, I was like, I'm done, God. I quit. We are never doing this again. This is horribly embarrassing. It's humbling. And it was the best thing that ever happened. Honestly, but walking through it, I never want to walk through that again.
2: In what you're doing, you know, any sensation you get of failure isn't that just a byproduct of of the ideas that we carry about what you know Western American church should look like, right? Because a- what you absolutely. described is is a biblical idea of church. What you described is, I was just thinking this is Acts. This is the book of Acts. What she's describing right. is Acts. Um, but it does it doesn't fit right our ideas of what is a successful church. How strange and yet unsurprising that you would feel like, oh, man, we only have 40 people. And and that's the focus instead of we have women spending six hours a week in our jail. We're leading a jail ministry. Uh, you know, we're doing all this stuff. We're feeding the neighborhood. We uh, Pastors, we just don't think about that stuff. We look at the Sunday morning crowd and go like, oh, man, I'm failing. Yep. Oh,
3: yeah. What? We still battle that on a small Sunday morning when everybody's on vacation. We're like, dang, maybe we shouldn't have even rented the building for today.
0: <laughs> or or us pastors look at a Sunday morning crowd and say, oh, we're, we're doing pretty good here when nobody's going out into the community right. at all. Right. Man, right. you're messing with us, Lori. Yeah, I you're don't like this, Lori.
2: Us. I'm not letting Kayla anywhere near this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so much fun. <laughs> I think you and Kayla have a lot in common, but very different personality styles, what what you've described with kids in and out of your house and everything like that, I think that would drive Caleb batty. But
3: oh, it, it makes me crazy. Okay, but I don't think I mean like I'm not. Don't think of me as like um, I don't know Martha Stewart or somebody like that who just loves to host people into my home. It's more of it like a, a active obedience and i'm being obedient in in hopes that the lord's going to be faithful to me and change my heart and he has i mean it has drastically changed from where it was five years ago but i got miles to go man miles to go <laughs> sure
2: yeah don't we all
3: yes well, we do
0: Lori, we've been doing this for a long time and uh we really appreciate what you've contributed today we really do well,
3: thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it
0: and uh, i right. hope, hope we stay in touch
3: we will. Thank you so all so much.
0: Right. Thanks, Lori. Thanks, huh. Laurie. Bye. Bye.